Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. They're allowed to do things that we're not allowed to do, so it's tough to play. We turned it over 20 times, it's not the ref's fault. We've got to keep playing through it. We know where the Utah Jazz. We've just got to play. And we still should have won this game despite that. You are locked on Fantasy Basketball. Your daily podcast on Fantasy Basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Red Rock, not Red Rock, that's an old school name. Welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. My name is Josh Lloyd and you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. Had a bit of a meltdown then just forgetting what the name of the show was. Of course, this used to be the Red Rock Fantasy Basketball Podcast, but now we are the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. It is brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. Today's Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is also brought to you by Aram Palamudian, who is today's Patreon sponsor. So if you want to be a sponsor of the show and support the show, you can head across to Patreon at patreon.com slash redrock underscore bball, and that will uh, show you ways that you can help support the program. So thank you to Aram for uh, for being a great supporter of the show as well. All right, we have got stacks of stuff to talk about because in the NBA today, we had news. We had Woj Bombs. We had uh, Shams Wows. We had... Um, we had interesting stuff going on, and there's going to be more of it coming. We had the Atlanta Hawks detonating things. Cole Corver is gone, or he's he's um yeah he's he's gone. He's he's gone. He's um he's been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we're going to talk about all of that in this podcast. We're going to review all of Thursday's action. We're going to look back at the last two weeks, and then we're going to preview Friday stuff. So I reckon we've got a pretty big show on our hands here. So let's get to it. To it. All right, let's start off with the uh, with the Kyle Corver news. Now, Corver will be heading to the Cleveland Cavaliers from the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for Mike Dunleavy and a future first-round pick. Now, that future first-round pick is coming um, because Cleveland is now trading their 2017 first-round pick to the Blazers so they can get their 2018 pick back, and that enables them to send their 2019 first-round pick down to Atlanta because you're not allowed to trade first round picks in consecutive years. So if they get their 17 back, that means that they can, sorry, if they get their, they get their 18 back, that means they traded 17 and then they can trade 19, which is what they're going to be giving to the Hawks. Now Dunleavy could potentially be on the move to another team. He isn't at this point. And if the Hawks can't find a deal that they like for Dunleavy, they will hold on to him. But that's not the big part of the of the deal. The big part is obviously Corver. The other big part that's going to come, almost undoubtedly, is Paul Millsap with interest from a number of teams across the NBA, including the Pelicans, the Nuggets, the Kings, and the Raptors. We'll talk about that more if and when it happens, but let's talk about something that has happened now, Corver going to Cleveland. So the Cavs obviously have an opening because J.R. Smith is out for basically the remainder of the regular season. They're playing DeAndre Liggins in that role. Jordy McRae is getting some extra minutes. At the two with some of the shooting guard minutes, same as Iman Shumpert, but they need they need shooting with J.R. Smith out. So Corver's going to fill that role. So naturally, I was inundated with questions. I see forum posts all over the place. You know, got to go and add Corver. I don't agree. 
I don't think that he is a must-own player, and I'll tell you why. Um, J.R. Smith was in that role, right? J.R. Smith was a 40% three-point shooter yeah, last season. He was in that role. What, 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 what good was he this year? Yeah, look, he didn't have his shot going. Corver is a better shooter. I understand all that. But the, the general thought process coming, oh, you know, LeBron's going to have all these shooters to kick to now. He, he's going to be finding Cole Corver on spot-ups all the time. It's going to be awesome for his fantasy value. Is it? He's already giving you two threes a game in 27 minutes, and he's already hitting them at 41%. How much better does he get? How many more threes are you getting from Kyle Korver a game? Does LeBron spotting up Kyle Korver help his rebounding, his assists, his steals, his blocks, his general athleticism? Does it help any of that? Does it help him getting to the line? No, it doesn't help any of that stuff. What it does do is it does, yeah, look, he will get more open opportunities. He will potentially shoot instead of 41% from three, 45% from three, 46% from three. That could absolutely happen. And your league counts three-point percentage, then it jumps up. And that could increase his two his three-point output from two threes a game to two and a half threes a game. And that can be useful. But he's not Kyle Korver from two years ago. He's not the same player. He's 36 years of age. He's had these surgeries that bothered him last season, and he's never fully recovered. And this reminds me a lot not because of the players being similar, but a lot of the Jeremy Grant trade earlier in the season, where it was, oh, the Thunder acquired Jeremy Grant. So everyone's, oh, we've got to grab him. No, man, he's going to play 30 minutes and now he's going to kill it in Oklahoma City. And my argument was, if he can't get playing time on a shit team, why is he going to get more playing time, a bigger role, and put up more stats on a better team? That's exactly what people thought would happen with Grant. It didn't. He's still just as terrible. And Corva now goes to a situation where... He moves from a worse team to a better team, and we're expecting him to to increase his production across all areas. I don't fully buy it. Yes, he's going to be what he is now, like a guy that's outside the top 120. Maybe he gets to 110, around that mark. He'll have streaming value for three-pointers. He'll have some really good efficiency numbers. We, we know that. This is what he does. He will you know, occasionally he provides some defensive stuff, but playing with LeBron doesn't open him up to become... The guy from 2014-15 who was getting really good block numbers and was doing a lot of other stuff apart from threes, which, which provided his extra value. He's not that guy anymore. So he's going to be a moderate scorer because he's going for a team from a team where the, the top three you know, options offensively were Dennis Schroeder, they were Paul Millsap, and they were Dwight Howard to a team with LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love. So actual shot attempts... He's not getting as many. Those three guys dominate everything in Cleveland. Nobody dominates that in Atlanta. So he will have open shots. Doesn't necessarily mean he will have stacks more of them. He, you know, he's he's just not going to come in here, play 32 a night, and be a top 100 guy. I, I just don't see it happening. He'll, he'll slot in. He'll fill a really big role for this team. Whether it's starting or off the bench, it doesn't matter. He'll be maybe between 26 to 29 minutes a night. I would lean towards the lower. I think he could actually play less minutes than what he did in Atlanta. I think that's a he could obviously play the same or play more. I don't think it's a big role, but I'm not sacrificing someone who has got great value or great potential value for Corver when I don't think his upside is that high moving forward. Feel free to disagree with me. You can tell me the fit is really good for him, and I agree with that from a basketball perspective. He will have, it works for LeBron. LeBron's assists might go up. He will have open spots, and he will hit his shot. So instead of shooting 43% from the field, which he currently is at, maybe he goes to 47, maybe. But how high are his attempt numbers going to be? 
What is he going to do when his rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks? Is he going to the line? The answer to all those things is no. So I wouldn't be getting my hopes up for Kyle Korver. This is not all-star Kyle Korver. This is a different Kyle Korver. This is name value um, bias sort of coming into play here. He should not have been owned in 12 team leagues for majority of this season. And I, I do happen to think that the same thing holds true for him now. Then the other thing is people go, okay, who gets the value in Atlanta? Oh, it's got to be Bazemore, is it? He's, he's terrible. We understand that, that he's, he's dreadful, right? Um, he's not good enough to play 30 minutes a night. It's it's as straightforward as that. Timmy Hardaway Jr. will get some extra minutes, yes? I, I, I grant you that. He will play some extra minutes. He gives you nothing. He's a three-point shooter who's not a good three-point shooter. He gives you no rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, nothing in those areas. And it, we've seen moments where he's started that he doesn't provide consistent enough value or even average or your average across his performances enough to be owned in standard league. So he's not getting 30 a night. He might get 25, 26. Maybe he moves up into that range, and that might be all right. But it's not must-own 12-team for, for Timmy Hardaway. In a 14-team league, yeah, sure, I would have a look at him in those sort of, a situa- those sort of situations. Uh, Tarbo. Now, Tarbo was a guy who had dropped off a bit. Now, he played 32 minutes a night without Korver, so maybe he stabilizes a little bit in 12-team leagues. Maybe. The other guy you want to look at is DeAndre Bembry, but that's for deeper leagues. He is ahead of the rotation, uh, ahead of Torian Prince, and I think that he... If Dunleavy comes and stays in Atlanta, I think Bembry will be ahead of Dunleavy in the rotation, so he will get chunks of Korver's minutes. He won't get the 26 or 27 minutes that Korver was playing, he will get 15 to 18 minutes, I would imagine, a night. And in 20-team leagues, that that's worth paying attention to. Bembry is a secondary ball handler type of player. So he will start to get assists, and he will start to become an interesting guy as the season progresses. So he is a name to watch most definitely. But just don't, you, by all means, go and grab Kyle Korver. I have not grabbed him anywhere. Um, go and grab him, but watch who you drop. And if you're the person in your league who is not grabbing Korfa, watch who gets dropped for him because that's where your value might. That might be the best move that actually gets made, picking up the person who gets dropped for Korfa. I want to hear your thoughts. You know, tweet at me. Let me know where I'm wrong, how I'm wrong. Save this commentary and, and send it back to me in, in three months' time when he's a top 50 guy. I just Going from a worse team to a better team for a guy that was struggling and declining doesn't automatically, automatically rejuvenate him and, and make him become better. And I just look at the situation and go, maybe, maybe, maybe you can chuck him on. But if you added him, what is he, your 13th best player? And then that's is that going to have really any use moving forward? I do want to hear your thoughts on it, though. So let me know everything that you think about this Kyle Corver trade, real-life perspective, fantasy perspective as well. Let's move into the monstrous line of the night now, and it is Russ Westbrook of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russ was uh, was pretty fantastic, in fact, even with Patrick Beverly guarding him. 49 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and hit 8 threes. He went 16 of 34 from the field, which is great from Russ, and 9 of 11 from the free throw line, putting up some big, big numbers. Amazingly, I checked today in 9 category rankings before today's game, Russell Westbrook's the 20th ranked player. There's no way you'd ever... And this is, again, part of why I say I never really pay any attention to turnovers in rankings because of how badly it skews him. There is in no situation would anybody come to me and tell me that Russell Westbrook is the 20th best player unless you play in nine-cat rotor leagues, which is a format that I despise. But anyway, 
Um, it shows how much the turnovers can influence it. But he is the fifth overall play in total eight cat value, and you'll see later on where he where he sits in my uh, head to head ranks for the last couple of weeks. He's uh, he's pretty much up there, but he still is averaging a triple double, even if over the last couple of weeks his numbers ha- have dipped a bit. He's still averaging thirty two points, but ten point three rebounds and only eight point eight assists and one point six steals. So his numbers are dropping off just a little bit, especially in that assists zone and obviously the field goal percentage and the turnovers, if you care about that, which again, I stress that you shouldn't, that 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 has been a problem. All right, let's talk waiver wire line of the night. Tone Parker. What's going on with this guy? 21 points for Parker, three rebounds, nine assists, one three. It came on the back of some ludicrous shooting, 10 of 11 shooting for Parker from the field, which we obviously know is not something that's going to continue. But over the last two weeks, Tone is the 82nd ranked player. He is playing 26 minutes a nine. That's probably the most important number, averaging 18 points with six and a half assists, 2.3 rebounds. Actually, I lie. The most important number is that he's shooting 58%. Now, Parker's strength has always been high field goal percentage. He's shooting 49% from the field this year. He shot 49 last year. He shot 49 the year before. He shot 49.9 the year before that. So we know that he's at that level. But 58's high. So that's going to come down. Can you go and add Tone Parker in 12-team leagues? Sure. You can. Look, a point guard who's giving you 18 and 6, they don't come around all the time. We don't really trust Parker to continue at that level. But a high-efficiency point guard getting you 18 and 6 has to be owned in every league for now. And if, if I had the option, I am grabbing Parker over Corver in every single league that I can. That is, that was, that is a, a no-brainer move to me. But it's not going to continue. We understand that. What it is also doing, and this is something I've been stressing for weeks, is that Paddy Mills doesn't need to be owned in 12-team leagues. I don't know if anyone still is. I hope that no one isn't, but there is no reason to be uh, to be dealing with Pat Mills anymore as Parker has uh, increased his play and Mills is, uh, has fallen off significantly. But a real big night for Tone, yeah, fueled by some huge, huge shooting performances. Let's talk young gun of the night. How good's Miles Turner? 25 points for Turner, 15 rebounds, 2 triples, 1 steal, 5 blocks, Awesome percentages. This bloke's going to be a top 20 player, potentially a top 15 player for years and years to come. He is the 24th ranked guy this year. He is top 20 over the last two weeks. In those last two weeks, he's averaging 18.5 and and 9 with three blocks, 0.7 steals, and 1-3 on 55 and 85. And I will make a bold call now. I think that next year, Miles Turner will be a better fantasy player than Paul George. Maybe that's not that bold of a call, but I think that he will be a better fantasy guy than Paul George. He has got not only triple one potential, he's got one three, one steal, three block potential. He's got 20 and nine potential. He's got 55 and 85 potential. He's hitting 42% of his threes this year. Um, the kid's just really, really good. And yeah, you know, I don't think many people would have, would have had him in the Porzingis Towns category in terms of fantasy value. But he's right up there with him, and he's got a he's got a chance to finish higher than both Porzingis and maybe not Towns, but but not far off him, putting up some really really good numbers, Miles, and he's doing all this in under thirty minutes a game, so he's got fair scope to uh to actually get better than this as well. So good stuff from Miles Turner. The dud of the night goes to Lou Williams from the Los Angeles Lakers. I remember getting into arguments about Lou Williams earlier in the season. I said, oh, look, I don't buy it. Lots of people, no, nah, he's going to finish the season top 60. He fits with the Lakers. They need him. He's ranked outside the top 200 for the last two weeks. And this isn't a terrible performance, 10-3-3. Three, three. 
He had one three, no steals, no blocks. He went three of eight from the field. And the thing that was keeping him so highly ranked was he was shooting like 47% from the field. And I continue to stress this will not continue. He's not shooting like this. He's a 39% shooter across his last seven games. He's averaging just the two assists. He's averaging just 0.6 steals. So all those numbers that were flying, he had high assist numbers. He had high steals. He had ridiculous percentages, huge threes, big scoring. D'Angelo Russell's come back and put him back into his place as a guy that plays off the bench and plays 21 to 23 minutes a night. That's where he is. I don't think there's any real reason to consider him a must-own in 10-team leagues. And in 12-team leagues, I probably still would hold on to him, but it is... um. It's fading. We look at this and say, oh, 39. And I'll often say, oh, when a player's struggling, what's his field goal percentage? Can it bounce back? Well, he's at 39. Last year, he was at 40. So his field goal percentage now, it's not like he's got this great track record of him being better than that and that he's going to put together, you know, oh, no, he'll be better. He'll get back to his norm. Well, this is his norm, basically. He's just been really good to start the season. And he could have a prolonged stretch of suckiness down down the stretch here if everyone remains healthy in that backcourt. And that's going to impact his value. So don't consider him untouchable. Don't consider him undroppable. And definitely do not consider him a top 50 player moving forward. Look, even though he's ranked 61st for the year, that that is falling. That is not remaining. He's not averaging 18 points in 25 minutes on 44%. That stuff is going to drop off. I am uh, I am 95% sure that we will not see this from Lou Williams or won't see the start of Lou Williams' this season happen again. But um, not putting up... Uh, yeah, this really starting to struggle at the moment. All right, let's, uh, let's get into the games now because we've got lots of stuff to talk about on today's show. So let's bring them up. Now, the first game we're going to talk about, it's the Brooklyn... Uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the Indiana Pacers. The uh, the Pacers got the victory, one twenty to one oh nine. Um, a bit of a change with things with the Nets. There was no Rondé Hollis Jefferson, but they did change their starting lineup. They moved Sean Kilpatrick to the bench and they put Joe Harris back starting. And they also switched up the minutes distribution to their point guards with Isaiah Whitehead playing just thirteen. Yes, there was some foul trouble involved in that. And Spencer Dinwiddie playing 32 minutes. Now, I have said for a while, I do believe that Dinwiddie is the better player. And I do think that Dinwiddie can be a contributor in this league. He played 32 minutes and went 13-3-3, and had a steal, had two blocks, and had a triple. So that's something So that's something to have a look at in, uh, in deeper leagues. That's obviously only going to have really uh, value whilst, um, whilst Jeremy Lin is out. But it's still... But it's still worth looking at in those 20-team leagues. Maybe you take a flyer on that. You know, Whitehead never really had a ton of value. But Dinwiddie's an interesting character here. Now, as for Kilpatrick, he moved to the bench. He was still good. He had a triple one. He had 13, 8, and 5. And he's still going to get his shots. He's still going to get his numbers until Lynn comes back. When Lynn returns, I think it's over for Kilpatrick. Karis Levert played 21 minutes, went 6, 2, and 1, had two triples. Definitely just a name to keep an eye on at this point. Or Trevor Booker... Um, Good numbers, if you look at it on the surface, 16 and 6, and his numbers have surged since I said he's probably not a standard league guy anymore. But he played under 20 minutes, and that's the concern with Booker moving forward is his minutes have not been high all season, and I don't believe that he is a 10-team must-hold guy. They got Louis Scola back into the rotation here. We had 22 minutes of Justin Hamilton as well, who went 16 and 8 with four triples, a steal, and a block, one of his best performances. But that's not anything to get overly excited about. It was a back-to-back, so we only had 26 minutes for Brook Lopez. He went 12 and 6. While Boyan Bogdanovich sucked and had three points in 12 minutes, he is a 14-team league guy only. 
As for Joe Harris, who started, he had 10 with uh, two blocks and two triples. Nice numbers, but we're talking very deep stuff for him. For the Pacers, Jeffy Teague, he almost, or not almost, he got close to a triple-double. And that um, makes me bring up something. I did mention this on Twitter today. I, I tell you what, I, I, I hate when teams or people tweet out, yeah, triple-double watch, triple-double watch, hashtag triple-double watch. And someone's already gotten a triple-double. James Harden has the triple-double, hashtag triple-double watch. That's not a triple-double watch. That's a triple-double. A triple-double watch is when someone's on 21, 9, and 8 heading into the fourth quarter. That's a triple-double watch because we're watching to see if they get a triple-double. Let's end all misuses of the triple-double watch hashtag because I hate seeing triple-double watch and teams tweet it out, people tweet it out when someone's already done it. James Harden was on triple-double watch as he had 21, 10, and 10. No, he did it. That was that's not that's not it. Again, feel free to disagree. But Jeff Teague was fantastic, super efficient, nine of thirteen from the field. While Paulie George joined both Jeff Teague and Miles Turner with twenty points. He had twenty six in thirty one minutes. Not much else there for Georgie with three assists, three steals, and a couple of triples, but did it efficiently as well. And had a nice little stretch here to begin January. Monte Ellis. I did tweet this out. I did mention it over on Basketball Monster, but I've got a different audience here on the podcast. There is some crossover, but I will mention it here. A, a tweet came out today um, from one of the Pacers beat reporters saying Monte Ellis is not on a minutes restriction today. Oh, he's, he's not going to be on a minutes restriction today. Then, and I know lots of you will read the blurbs over on Roto World. The blurb over on Roto World said yeah, he, he's not on a minutes restriction, so he should be start to see more minutes. But the other part of the initial tweet said he's not on a minutes restriction today. He also wasn't on one last game where he played 20 minutes. That's because this is his new role. This is what I have been saying for weeks. Monte Ellis's role is 20 to 24 minutes. This is not a case of, you know, I, I, I'm, telling, I'm saying it too late now because you know, we've noticed it, but a lot of people were getting very excited after that tweet and that Roto World blurb. Man, he's got no minutes restriction. Let's go all in on Monte Ellis. And someone even mentioned to me today, they said, oh, I saw your comment on Basketball Monster that you, you, you don't believe it and he's going to stick it 20 minutes. They said, oh, can you tell me what you really think? Have you have you rostered him in DFS? Like if I say something, that's what I really think. I don't put misinformation out there. I don't talk shit for the purposes of saying it. I don't go out there and say, nah, Monte is only playing 20 minutes and then go and you know, secretly think he's playing 30 and play him in all my lineups. I don't do that. That's bullshit. And you get called out on it too easily anyway, even if I was to do it. So no, whatever I say is what I actually believe. Um, but this is this is his role. It, it was not a case of minutes restriction being lim- being lifted. Let's go, Monte. This is his role. Rod Stuckey was also out. So when Stuckey comes back, he's going to be further squeezed. They like little dog in the starting lineup, playing his 25 minutes, doing some defensive stuff, providing some rebounding. They like Monte running the second unit. This is his role. There is no reason to own Monte in, in any standard leagues at all. Please get rid of him. And that was a very long Monte Ellis rant, but I needed to clarify some things that I said and that was said to me and that I saw push through the fantasy community. This was not an opportunity for him, and we saw that. He had two points in 21 minutes. Read things properly is a is always a, a good, good idea when stuff like that comes out. Thad Young, 10 and 6 with a couple of blocks. Not a great night for him, but you know, we still persist with Thad. And uh, Aaron Brooks had nine points in his 17 minutes, Al Jefferson didn't do a huge amount there either, and Kevin Serafin again played more minutes, and that should be what they do moving forward. They won't necessarily always do it, but that is what they should do. Utah, 
and Toronto, no, no Georgie Hill. So we got a massive Shelvin Mack game. The Jazz still lost 101 to 93 to the Raptors, but Mack had 17, 4 and 2 with a 3 and a steal. We can hope that George Hill is back soon, but it's a concussion, so it's always up in the air. But Mack did this on 7 of 9 shooting, so there's a, a huge fluke component to it as well. And he, he, look, he's a starting point guard who's playing 30 minutes. Dante Exum was back, Alec Burks was playing, so he's going to play those minutes while Hill remains out. And that can have value, but it's clearly not going to be sustainable. Rude Gobert, 15 and 16 with three blocks, while Gordo Haywood went 16 and 4 in his 34 minutes. Derek Favors, not a great night, but the minutes were still good, 26 minutes. The Jazz have a back-to-back on the weekend, so expect him to be limited in one of those. 9 and 8 in 26, while Rod Hood was uh, pretty putrid, to be honest. 3 of 10 for 7 points, but the encouraging thing there is 35 minutes. The unencouraging thing is no other numbers. No, that's not true. Three assists and a block is all right. 10-team leagues, you can comfortably do better. 12-team leagues, you may be able to because there's a ton of value that's opening up at the moment, so you might be able to move on. But I still do think, or not I do think, I know that he is a better player than this and he will be resurrected in some form. Also, Alec Burks played four minutes, four points. He's not having an impact this season. You have to be a 30-team league. You have to be a deep dynasty. But I, I get the feeling that Alec Burks's window to being a top 120 player in fantasy for his career is done. I just don't think he will ever get to that level again. The Raptors made a change to their starting lineup. Pascal Siakam was out. They moved Bebe Noguera in. Now, it's not like that Siakam was providing any spacing, but the Bebe-Jonas-Valanciunas combination didn't really help in that regard either. Bebe was fairly ordinary, 26 minutes, 4 and 6, 3 assists and 2 blocks. He is more a stream specialist, 14 to 16 team league guy. And once again, and I still believe that Valanciunas is a good player. I just don't, not sure he's ever going to realize his full potential in Toronto, as I mentioned the other day. But he got 31 minutes. He had 18 and 13. He went 7 of 11 from the field and he hit all four of his free throws. This is what he does. And he needs to go out there and, and do this sort of stuff. But the co- coaching is an issue for him. I still don't think that Dwayne Case is a good coach. He still has baffling decisions and baffling comments saying that Valanciunas needs to go out there and and be dominant and take more shots. Probably help if you told the players to get him the ball and, and then he would take those shots and he would convert them and he would be successful as he always is. Defensively, there are problems, so there are going to be matchups where he gets limited as well. Damari Carroll, after having three or four straight games of under 20 minutes, played 39 Still shit, so at least that's st- stuck. Eight and four with two triples and two steals for Carroll. You can do better in every 10-team league and in 12-teamers. It's been two and a half months of suckiness. Can he resurrect it? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not feeling confident. Kyle Lowry went back to his ridiculous shooting ways. 10 of 17 from the field. 33 points, 6, 5, and 3 with four triples. It will drop. I had someone send me a question about Lowry, and Josh, you keep talking about Lowry's going to drop off. He'll drop off from this number, and you should sell. And they said, oh, should I um, trade him for Kimber Walker? Now, I'm not saying who this person was who told me that. Don't need to, don't need to reveal that. But that is the perfect example of not selling high. That's you know, If Kyle Lowry regresses, he probably regresses to Kimber Walker's level. So Lowry might drop from a guy that's a top five sort of guy at the moment, top seven guy at the moment, and to be a guy that's between 20 and 30. It's exactly where Kemba is. So you're selling a guy who's putting up top numbers now, that then if he falls, he falls to the level of the guy that you'd be trading for. 
So that's that's not that's not selling high. In that case, you, you hold and you just deal with it and you, and you hope that he continues it with the knowledge that he probably won't. And then if he dips, he comes back to that same level of Kemba. It's not a deal that makes sense. It's the same sort of thing when you buy low on someone. Okay, a guy like Derek Favors, his ceiling is top 50. So you don't send out a top 50 player back to get Favors when he's a, a top 200 guy at the moment. That just has no positive benefit for you whatsoever. If Favors comes back to being good, then you've broken even. If he doesn't, you've lost. There's literally no positive outcome there for you. And that's the same with that sort of Kyle Lowry sell high situation. Tezza Ross played 30 minutes. He has been really impressive this year. 12 points with two triples and two blocks. I get the feeling that could be finding him or Norm Powell on a different team sometime soon. But he is a a really, really useful streaming option. Uh, Terrence Ross for those three-pointers. And almost prefer him over Kyle Korver. In, in a, in, if I'm going to own someone, I, I might prefer Ross, but maybe not. But they're both still three-point streaming guys. DeMar had 23 and 7. Pascal Siakam, this, yeah, out of the starting lineup, four minutes with no Patrick Patterson. NBA coaches, seriously, cattle prod in the ass. Some of the things they do make no sense. None. No, he's good enough to play out there with all the best players, against the best players in the NBA for 20 minutes. No, that, that's that's you know, he's good there. But let's uh, if you put him against the bench, got no, can't play him at all. Can't play him if he's not with him. Like, don't play him at all then. Don't start him. None of this placeholder bullshit. It's it's ridiculous. Charlotte and Detroit. Nick Batum hyperextended his right knee, which is shit news for Nick Batum. He wasn't having a great game, but that pales into insignificance. Nine, four, and five for Batum. He went one of eight from the field. Hit all seven of his free throws. But the injury is the concern for Batum. Um, let's let's wait. Let's see what the actual situation is. But I think he's going to miss some time with this. I don't know how much at this point, but I, I would guess, if I had to guess, I, I don't want to, but I will. If I had to guess, I would say he will miss a, a, a two weeks would be my guess. And that's going to bump Marco Bellinelli. It's going to bump Jeremy Lamb from, say Lamb goes from 18 to maybe 14 team leagues. Bally goes from 14 to fringe 12. Michael Kidd Gilchrist goes from 14 to perhaps 12 as well. So that's what Ramon Sessions bumps from 20 to maybe 16 leagues as they share the court a little bit, as he shares with Kemba Walker a little bit. But really some shit news. Now, Kid Gilchrist played 27 in this one, 8 and 13, while Ballinelli got back to 21 minutes and went 5, 2 and 1. Jeremy Lamb only saw the 13 minutes, but that's where the minutes are going to be distributed. Kemba had 32, 7 and 5, and a big night for him. And Spencer Hawes once again replacing Cody Zeller, well, not replacing his um, playing time, or not replacing his starting role, but getting the majority of his minutes. He had 28 here, 18, 4, and 3 with three triples and a block, while Roy Hibbert played 19 minutes and went 8 and 6 and had three blocks. Zeller's dealing with a concussion. So once Zeller is back, obviously, Horse just goes out of the rotation completely. Marv Williams also stepped it up. He had 19 points in 29 minutes. That's his high score for the year. Seven boards, two triples, and a block. He's coming along. He can be owned in 12 teams, but we have to realize that his ceiling's not high. But we're getting to that point of the year where we're halfway through the year. We're over halfway through the fantasy year that upside is not everything. Having a guy that could be a solid 100 guy might be better than a bloke whose ceiling is 70 and his floor is 160. We're definitely getting to that spot now. And once we head to, say, the end of January, we're really getting into that area of, especially if you're a playoff team, is is really starting to solidify 
some of the value on your team. For the Pistons, Toby Harris off the bench. Man loves it. 25 points with three triples in 31 minutes there. Reggie Jackson had 22 and 11, and Marcus Morris had one of his better games. He went 22 and 10 and had three triples. Toby, of course, you own him. Marcus Morris, I'm not convinced that he is a that he is a guy to own. Of course, he's a 14-team league guy. He can have 12-team value, but um, not really, not really a guy that I'm, I'd be falling all over myself to to get. Johnny Lua played just the 22 minutes. Foul trouble. He had eight and six. Andre Drummond, 25 minutes. He went 16 and nine. Foul trouble, five fouls in that time. Aaron Baines, out with an ankle sprain. So guess what? It was Boban time. 22 minutes for Boban Majanovic. 15 points, a career high. 19 minutes. No, 19 minutes. 19 rebounds. One block. He went three of four from the field. He got to the line 11 times and hit nine of them. We know that Boban is a permanent monster. We know that Boban puts up numbers whenever he gets the chance. The problem is the chance. Now, Aaron Baines is going to go straight back into this backup role when he returns from his ankle injury. So there's no real situation where you need to go and add Boban. But this was just a good refer- re- re- reaffirmation. Reaffirmation. Yeah, that's, a, that's the word. Reaffirmation that he can, uh, can still do that. Let's move on to the next game now. Where are we? The Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, talked about Russ already. Steve Adams wasn't quite at his best. He was dealing with some niggling injuries in this one, but 29 minutes for Steve, 8-8. Eight and eight. But what you'd be impressed with is getting two steals and two blocks and him hitting all of his free throws again. That's eight out of his last eight free throws that he's hit. After a little bit of a dip, he's getting back in business there. And Ennis Cantor, once again, 15-13 and 13 in 22 minutes with a block, really putting up some big numbers of late. Now, still think that he's a 12-teamer and probably a 10-teamer with the way things are going now. Andre Robertson turned in a huge performance with some huge blocks as well. Um, he had 14 and 9. He had a couple of blocks, but there's, he's a top 200 sort of a player. That's it. now. The Thunder did lose this one at the end, 118-116 uh, to the Rockets after a uh, failed inbound pass lob tap thing to Ennis Cantor. Didn't actually, didn't go down. Vic Oladipo played 41 minutes. He went 17-7. and seven. He had four triples. He had uh, two assists and a steal. Not a great shooting night, but the minutes were there. The shots were there. Yeah, solid night from Oladipo. And Alex Abrines in the rotation, of course, ahead of Anthony Morrow. For the Rockets, Jimmy Harden, 26-8-12. Two triples, a steal, and a block. Wasn't his best game. Andre Robertson does a very good job on Harden, but still... Still a productive night, of course, and Pat Beverly played through his wrist problem. 11, 8, and 3, two steals and three triples, getting his numbers going. Eric Gordon's sixth man of the year campaign is in uh, is full steam ahead. 22 points with five triples and five rebounds, while Nene moved into the starting lineup. And again, another reason not to get overly concerned about changes in starting lineups. Nene started, but he played 17 minutes. 18 points is fantastic. Six of six from the field and six of 10 from the line. Great numbers from Nene. Just the two rebounds, and don't get your hopes up. And the table, Montrez Harrell moved to the bench. He still played 29 minutes, so the same as he's been playing. Now, he wasn't productive. He only was 8-8 eight and eight with three assists, but you still want to hold on to the table. Um, yeah, nothing to... And you see it all the time. We tweet it out, and, and the DFS people who love love a quote tweet as well will uh, we'll tweet it out. Oh, you know, screwed my lineups. 
No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that, especially in this Houston situation. So if you ever see a Montrez Harrell not starting, Tweed or Nene starting, it doesn't really make a difference. They're still going to play the same role. D'Antoni is just trying to mix things up with the uh, with the rotations and the matchups with the opposition. And when uh, the Thunder went big and they went big quite often in this game, that's uh, that's the way they decided to get Nene out there to, to match up against Adams to start the game. But as I always say, in the end, if they're playing the same minutes, what does it matter? Because there's going to be plenty of times when Nene's not matched against Stephen Adams, and it would be the same way if you didn't start them. I'm not an NBA coach, though. Atlanta and the Pelicans. No, Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver was there. Kyle Korver warmed up. Kyle Korver sat on the bench, and he knew that he'd been traded, so he just sat there in his uniform. He looked pissed. Uh, in the end, he was—he wasn't pissed. He was sad. He was—he—he uh, he loves the Hawks. Obviously, he was—he was not. Not really happy. He knew he knew it's a, a part of the business, but he was not not coping all that well. But just seeing him sitting on the bench wasn't ideal. So we did get an idea of what the rotation could look like. We saw some extra minutes for Tabo: thirty-two minutes, seven, six, and five. A three, a steal, three blocks. Those defensive numbers coming through, but they had been declining quite a bit. But interesting to see. You know, if you if you've got him and you you want him for those defensive numbers, just hold and see how this plays out. Paulie Millsap went 17, 10, and 4 in 33. He had a 3, 2 steals and a block. People are asking me, what happens if he gets traded? I don't think really anything changes with his value. If he goes to the Pelicans, nothing changes. If he goes to the Kings, nothing changes. If he goes to the Raptors, I don't think much changes. Or maybe a little bit changes, but I don't think much changes. If he goes to the Nuggets, nothing changes. I don't really see much changing for Millsap wherever he goes from what we've seen from him so far this season. I think he's going to put up similar numbers. Dennis Schroeder had 23, 7, and 4. And Timmy Hardaway played 26 minutes. He had 14 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 triples. So overall, a nice night from Hardaway. But poor shooting from him, 5 from 12. That's that's going to be the story. He's a punt field goal sort of guy, and he'll have quiet nights. But getting an extra couple of minutes you know, turns him to be a 14-team league guy and into a more fringe 12-teamer. DeAndre Bembry got 15 minutes. He had 6 points and 1 rebound. Kent Bazemore had... Um, not a good night. 21 minutes for Bazemore. Two points, three rebounds on one of four shooting. He's not good. So, yes, there are Corvus 28 minutes to distribute amongst the wings. This team can't... That's not true. Unless they're trying to get into the top five, then they could give 35 minutes to Bazemore and that might pan out. He's just not that good of a player and I really don't see the appeal of having him on a fantasy roster in most circumstances. For the Pelicans, they made a switch to their starting lineup at halftime. Terrence Jones replaced Solomon Hill. Jones, he played 30 minutes, went 12 and 11 with a steal and three blocks. And this has never been the issue with Jones. It, putting up numbers has never been a problem. He always puts them up when he gets the opportunity. His on-court play is just not good enough to maintain him in that sort of a role. So the, the Terrence Jones hype train will be on after seeing this, no doubt. Let's go grab him. Let's go grab him. Donatus Motoyunis didn't play. He will play the next game, and he will cut into Jones' minutes. I have got no doubt about that. Jones is not a must-own player. He is not a must-grab player. This was appealing, definitely. It looks really good. But how many times has it happened this year? Five, six times where this happens? And then he'll play four minutes, or 18 minutes, or 21 minutes. It's just what Gentry does. And now they've got another piece of the parcel there with Motoyunis, who can, who can come in and sneak five, six minutes off him. So that's a worry. Drew Holiday, 18-1-5 with four triples. Tony Davis, wasn't a great Tony Davis night, but still 20-19 and 19 with a couple of steals. The 7-20 of 20 from the field was not fantastic. And Bud Heald, 
wasn't accurate, only 5 of 16, but played 31 minutes, so that's a tick. 15, 7, and 4, 4 triples and a steal. Really good line from Buddy Heald, and he is impressing me. I am not a big Buddy Heald fan. I still don't believe that he he's going to be a good player in the NBA, and I still believe that the Pelicans made a big mistake with that draft choice. But over the last couple of games, he's been impressive. He's shooting 48% from three over his last seven games. He's scoring at a better rate, and his rebounds have been decent as well. He... He falls into the Timmy Hardaway 14-team league, sort of a three-point specialist guy. He's been an elite free-throw shooter this year. Not many attempts, but he's at 90% for the year, over 90, like 91-92. Hasn't missed in the last couple of weeks, but he needs to do more in the other areas. Now, 15-7-4 is a fantastic line, but that's just not what Heald is about in general. So I wouldn't be putting a huge amount of faith in him continuing to do it, but he's definitely getting my attention. And in a 14-team league, he's definitely worth a look. At 12, uh, yeah, I'm not quite there. I just don't see how high his ceiling is. And I did mention before that you know consistent 100 value is maybe better than high ceiling in the next couple of weeks. But I don't think Bud is a consistent 100 guy. I think he, maybe his ceiling is 100, and then he's got a low floor as well if things start to fall apart. But he has been impressive lately. Solly Hill was unimpressive, and that's pretty stock standard for him. Phoenix and Dallas, the Phoenix Suns get the victory 102-95. to Eric Bledsoe had 26 points with 7 assists, while Devin Booker, another good shooting night. He has really turned it around the last few games. 9 of 17 for Booker, had 22 points, not a lot else. 3 threes, 2 rebounds, 0 assists, 0 steals, and 1 block, but at least not killing you in that field goal percentage department. Brandon Knight, who had played under 10 minutes for three consecutive games, had then missed a game with a wrist sprain, returned and played 26 minutes because Earl Watson. Because Earl Watson's the worst coach in the NBA, and it's not particularly close. Uh, you never know what the hell to do with Knight. He had 17 points, and he did it on 11 shots. That's impressive. I do not think you should be touching him in 12-team leagues. I would maybe look in 14 teams. People are like, oh, what if he gets traded? I just don't think he's that good. I just don't think that wherever he's going, unless it's Sacramento... That or Philly, maybe. I don't think there's any team that vaults him into the top 100, and they could be definite destinations for him. But he's not—he's not that good. Tyson Chandler played 28 minutes, grabbed 18 boards, had three points, but 18 boards is obviously useful. Not really a 12-team leaguer. While PJ Tucker, of course, we've got to play PJ Tucker 34 minutes, four and nine with a steal and a block for Tucker, and that limited TJ Warren down to 24 minutes. People are ready to cut TJ Warren. I understand it. I am not doing it. It's been frustrating. It's nonsensical in so many ways. Watson, again, horrible coach, and it all comes back to who got him the job: PJ Tucker and Tyson Chandler. That's that's as simple as it is. I'm still holding Warren. Um, we've seen it you know, three games ago. He had a monster performance and then got really limited. He will be better than this, no no doubt in my mind. Marquis Chris, who played 30 minutes in the last game, played 18 here. Two and eight with an assist. Now, he's not a great player. He's not a good player. He's not even an average player at this point, but you would hope he continued to get more minutes than that while 13 for, for Dragon Bender. Bite my shiny metal ass. Not, not a great night from Bender. So that sort of little surge he had it has clearly faded away recently. Onto the Mavericks, the pencil Harrison Barnes, 19 and 6 with a steal and a block in 39 minutes. Big, big shooting numbers as well. 8 of 13 from the field. He's been fantastic this season. Well, Darren Williams went 24 and 6. Now, Darren had an issue with his ankle at one point, hobbled off to the bench. Literally, as soon as it happened, again, I, I don't mention this to call out the people who tweet me or ask me these questions. It's just to highlight the 
the thought processes that go around in the fantasy community. He, he literally, about two minutes after he went to the bench, it was like, can I drop him now? Oh, he's going to get injured. At some, he's injured now. If this is a serious injury, can I just drop him? He's been, he's been bad. No. Let, let's wait to find out exactly what, what happened. Um, a, he hasn't been bad. And B, he came back into the game. He had 20 points here with six assists and two triples, but people are so willing to move on from Darren Williams. That's why his ownership percentage sat at like 58% for about four weeks, because people hate Darren Williams. And I'm not a Darren Williams fan, but I can look at it objectively and and say, okay, you're putting up numbers. This is happening. No one's taking these minutes until you go down. Durkis played 28 minutes, 13, 7, and 3 with three triples. And that 28 minutes is the important part. Now, he might not play more than 28 minutes a night moving forward. But 13 and 7 is usable in 12-team leagues. So have a look at your roster. See if you can slot Dirk in there. That's that's nice. Andrew Bogut doesn't appear is going to be on this team for, for the rest of the season or, or much longer. He only played the 20 minutes scoreless with two assists and two steals. I wouldn't be stashing him, hoping he goes somewhere else. It just doesn't feel feasible at this point. Seth Curry had 16 in 26 minutes. Nothing else happening there in his stat line. And the J.J. Barea return is going to impact him, obviously. And Justin Anderson out of the rotation completely. I like Justin Anderson, but he is comfortably in Rick Carlisle's doghouse. And it's going to take a bit to break him out. He has been fairly poor. this, And understandably, he's in the doghouse because he's been poor. I would like to see them develop him a bit more. But yeah, nothing's happening for him this year. Dwighty Powell played nine minutes, two and five, nothing to see with him, while Dorian Finney-Smith starts, does nothing. Four points in 17 minutes for DFS. San Antonio and Denver, another smashing from the Spurs, but surprisingly, we got big minutes from a lot of these players, despite the fact they won by 28. Powell played 35. He went 7, 9, and 4 with three blocks. Kawhi played 36 and went 24, 6, and 5 with three triples. I talked about Tone Parker already. Dan Green had six and five with two threes, a steal, and a block. LaMarcus Aldridge is on an all-time hot streak at the moment. He scored 28 points. He had a triple one. He had four rebounds, but did it on 11 of 18 shooting, and that's 61% for those who don't have a calculator in their head or handy. That is six consecutive games that LaMarcus Aldridge has shot over 60%. We talk about regression coming. It's coming. It's coming in a big way for Aldridge. There is no one in the NBA who takes jump shots, who can continue to shoot at 60-plus percent, which is what he's doing. So you look at his ranks and you go, shit, LaMarcus Aldridge, man, he's a, he's a 12th-ranked player of the last two weeks. Man, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's also no chance of sticking because there is no chance he continues to shoot like this. None. He's a 48, 50% shooter, maybe. That's, that's where he sits. He's not 65. He's not 70. So just just be aware of that. Um, the Nuggets. Mike Malone's an issue. He's an issue as a coach for the team. He's an issue from a fantasy point of view. He says shit that is weird all the time. He called out his team after the game. He is losing this locker room if he hasn't already lost it. He puts the blame on everyone bar himself. And then even when he blames himself and offers the solution, he doesn't execute it. He he called out the team for having no veteran leadership. He called out the team today for not executing game plans and saying the players are confused when I bench them because they don't execute the game plan. Maybe the game plan's shit. Maybe that. Maybe that's what's happening as well, Mike. Nick Jokic, Nick Jokic played only 27 minutes. It wasn't foul trouble. It was Malone trouble. Still had 19, 11, and 5 with a steal, but I, I just, I just don't, I don't think this guy is a good coach. Simple as that. 
They made a change to the starting lineup that put Darrell Arthur in. I like the Arthur and Jokic pairing. That moved Wilson Chandler to the bench. It cut Chandler's minutes down to 24. He'd been downtrending anyway. He had 11 and 7 with a block. I'd feel free to drop him in 10s, and I'd really be considering it in 12s. I wouldn't be there yet. As for Arthur, he had 13 and 4 in 19 minutes, two triples and a block, which is an appealing stat line, but we know his knees are pretty fragile, and he's not going to be able to shoulder a big load moving forward. Giggity! The Rooster only did 28 minutes for 15 points. Manny Moutier, 8-1-5. and five. Yeah, not not huge from him. And Gaz Harris struggled. He had 26 minutes for 8-1-5 and five as well. But even in all this suckiness, Farton Will Barton played just 15 minutes. 7-1-2, and two, and he had three steals. So, you know, some good, some good steal numbers, obviously, for Barton. But this is the worry with him. And this is what I, I did talk about with him a lot in the offseason, is that he's just not a big part of what they want to do. So he's going to get squeezed. So you can own him in, I wouldn't own him in 10s. You can own him in 12 team leagues, but there's the significant risk associated with it because this is two out of the last three games where he's played sub 20 minutes. The last game of the night, we're looking at the Los Angeles Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. No Lou Deng for this one. So Brandon Ingram started, he played 37 minutes and had 11 and four. At least he got a block. And at least he shot the ball well, but he's a long, long way from being standard league relevant. Jordy Clarkson got back in business. 32 minutes for Clarko here. 21 points with four triples, two steals, three rebounds, and an assist. I stand by what I said the other day, and that he's not a must-own 10-team league guy, and he's pushing 12s. But he played under 20 minutes the last two or three games, and he got the minutes back here. What is it moving forward? I've got no idea. But what we are seeing from Luke Walton is that he is playing his starters much bigger minutes now. 37 to Ingram, 37 to Randall, 35 to D'Angelo Russell, and that's fantastic. 35 to Uncle P. That's great news. We'll start with Russell, who had 22-4-2, had two steals, didn't shoot the ball well, but great free throw numbers. We're really encouraged by what he's doing at the moment. And Julius Randall had 17-9-5 with a, a poor shooting night as well, going 4-13. of 13. Now, Uncle P was also poor, 5-15. of 15. Had 13 points with three triples. But unlike Russell, unlike Randall, when Nick Young's shot doesn't fall, he offers nothing. Yeah, two rebounds, one assist. He came in with you know, the worst fantasy value on this entire team. Whereas Russell and Randall both shot poorly, shot under 35%, and find themselves as you know, two of the top four players. That's the difference. That's why I always stress that with those shooters, that when there's a shit night, when it's a good night, it can look great. But when it's a bad night, it, it really tanks stuff in, in a significant way. Tim Mozgov went from playing 37 minutes to 11. He had 7 and 5 here, so yeah, not, not working him into a bigger role, obviously. For the Blazers, Dame Lillard returned 21, 5, and 10 with 4 triples, while CJ kept his hot shooting going, going 11 from 21, 27, 4, and 7 for McCullum with 3 triples, and Mo Harkless got it done as well. 9, 6, and 2, hit a 3, had a steal, had 3 blocks. You know I'm big on Mo Harkless. Alfred Kaminu, 2 solid games in a row. Back I'm not on back on board because I was always talking about him as a 12-teamer, but this is he's looking better. 35 minutes for Aminu, 7-11-4, two steals, a block, and a triple there. While Evan Turner chimed in for 20, but don't get too excited there. Man, this I need to really fix this set. You couldn't see that because the video's not on, but the jerseys again fell behind me. starting to piss me off. Uh, Alan Crabb moved back to the bench, 14-4 with two triples in 26 minutes for Crab, Obviously, his value, not that it was high, but it has dipped significantly since um, since the return of Dame Lillard, which happened today. 
All right, now you can see the bare background behind me because those stupid jerseys just fell down. Let's talk about the top 20 players now for the last two weeks using my head-to-head -head rankings, starting at 20. And a few of these guys are injured, so they've only played partial time during this last couple of weeks. Chrissy Paul at 20, LaMarcus Aldridge at 19, CJ McCullum at 18, The Process, Joel Embiid at 17, Steph is 16, Jim Butler is 15, Kemba Walker is 14, LeBronald James at 13, Chris Stapps, he's at 12. Anthony Davis at 11. The top 10, we have Kyle Lowry at 10, Kevin Durant at 9, Kawhi Leonard at 8, Boogie at 7, Russ at 6, Johnny Wall at 5, Isaiah Thomas at 4, Yanni at 3, Kyrie at 2, and Jimmy Harden at 1. So there's a, yeah, a few surprises there. Obviously, Wall at 5, Thomas at 4, Irving and 2. Those uh, Wall is the one who I feel more most confident about with those guys. Irving and Thomas will dip out of that out of that grouping. You know, Anthony Davis and LeBron outside the top ten. Steph outside the top ten. Chris Paul outside the top ten. Those guys can can clearly jump back up. And Kyle Lowry at number ten there as well. This was all done before today's games. Let's talk about guys who are potentially over and undervalued over the last couple of weeks. There's not a huge amount this week to be honest. In the overvalued side, Ryan Anderson still coming in as the 33rd ranked player over the last two weeks. I don't buy it. I don't think many people will buy it in your league, but if they do, get rid of him. Steve Adams comes in at 35. I've loved what Adams has done. I also don't think he's the 35th best player. So if you can get any sort of top 50 value or top 40 value back for Steve Adams, I would be looking into that. Kentavious Caldwell Pope is 41st. He is notoriously streaky. He's been a little, he actually has been a much better player this season. I don't think that he maintains that level. And Uncle P at 51. He's a borderline ownable guy to me. Just be that inflexibility with his value, I guess, with the threes and the scoring. On the undervalued side of things, so these are guys you might be able to buy low on. Rod Hood at 297. I talked about him before. Derek Favors at 270. TJ Warren at 254. Now, these are guys who might be on your waiver wire, so I'd consider owning them, especially Warren and Favors. I'd look to grab them. Jordy Clarkson, he's at 233. Now, that number will obviously bump after today. I'm not saying that he's an app, um, a buy low sort of a guy, but I'm saying that I don't think he's going to be this bad of a player, and he, he showed it today, but not necessarily a must-own guy. 188 is Gaz Harris. He'll be better than that. Lou Williams, I just talked about him before. He's at 172. So while I don't think that he'll be the same player that he was over the last, or, or to start the season, I also don't think that he'll be the player that he is over the last two weeks. But buying low on him might be a challenge. A, he's the Lakers. B, people love Lou Williams for whatever reason it is, and he tends to have an inflated value amongst the fantasy community. 77 is Hassan Whiteside. Um, there's, there's concerns about Whiteside. Yeah, the free throws have been annoying. Um... A lot of people thinking they're just going to shut him down, which I just don't agree with whatsoever. Again, the thoughts come, oh, now he got a big contract. He, he's going to he's going to shut himself down. Don't That's not going to happen either. So uh, yeah, if you're buying low on Whiteside for outside top 50 value, I'd be doing it immediately. And Paulie Millsap at 61. I guess trade uncertainty might hurt getting that deal, but I, I think that you can look at him. I wouldn't def, definitely not look at him as top 15. Yeah, top 20 might even be a stretch, but... Outside the top 50, I don't think that's too much of a concern that he's going to get back into that. Let's look now at the players in the top 100 who are owned in under 50% of leagues and talk about adding them. Sergio Rodriguez is at 45. Not not a strong add. I think TJ McConnell and him may split minutes now with how strong McConnell has been. Now, Rodriguez is back today, tomorrow, whatever day you listen to this. So that might be... Um, we'll get an idea of, of how things are going to run there, but yeah, not, not keen. Jimmy Johnson at number 60. 
own him. The table, Montrez Harrell at 66, own him. Seth Curry is at 69. No, no, just don't, don't, don't feel it. No long-term value there with him at all. Jody Meeks at 85, same. Fournier's back, dump him. Jermichael Green at 93, still dealing with a facial fracture. Um, I'm not, um, yeah, I, I don't believe that he's a 10-team league player, and I, I think that he can be left on the waiver wire in, in most situations. Cody Zeller at 98, don't know how he's owned in under 50% of the leagues, own him. I, 99 is Terrence Ross. So, um, again, this misprint, which, which wasn't there before, I don't know why it keeps coming up. Terrence Ross is at 99. Yeah, Ross. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be classifying him as a must-own sort of a player. Uh, he's a guy that you can stream in for three pointers, and that's really about where it ends with Terence Ross. All right, I am going to take a quick break now, and then we're going to talk DFS for what day? For Friday's games. All right, guys, we're back. Got the uh, got the set put back together. Let's hope it sticks for the uh, for the entirety of the rest of this podcast. Let's talk perfect. DFS lines now. We're going on Fangel, Jeffy Teague at 52.9, Russ at 65.1, Sean Kilpatrick 33.1, and Jimmy Harden at 51.6. Small forward Marcus Morris 38.5, Andre Robertson 28.8. Power forwards Marv Williams 32.4, Alfaru Aminu 32.2, and the center at 55. So it was a pretty tough night, I guess, with some of those perfect guys in there you were never going to get. No, obviously not going to stick up. I'm going to have to reassess. I think it's the heat here that's melting the uh, the glue on those adhesive things that's keeping it up because it's really hot for you uh, Americans in the Fahrenheit scale. I think we're looking at about 96 or 97 here today. It's or maybe maybe 93. It's pretty warm, and um, in order for me to record the show, I have to turn the air conditioning off. So it does get a little bit hot. So I reckon that might be um, I might be, and yeah, I reckon there might be some glue or adhesive melting going on. I'm sure you care not at all. Let's talk. Yeah, we'll get back to Fangio now. 389.6, and that was 59,500. So a few of those were a bit fluky. But Teague, Westbrook, Harden, yeah, you can obviously work those out. Aminu, Turner, yep. Marcus Morris was in a good spot. I did think he was a decent play, but some of those other ones, like Robertson, Marvin Williams, Shawnee Kilpatrick, yeah, Kilpatrick was in a good spot as well. So there's a few little fluky ones in there. On DraftKings, Jeffy Teague at 57.25, Bud Heald 33.75, Marcus Morris 42, Terrence Jones 35.25, Miles Turner, 58.25, Russ at 72, Millsap at 42.5, and Boban at 40.75 for a total of 49,300. No, that's the salary, 49,300, and the total was 381.75. Now, I would say nobody had Boban in their lineups, but I know that people did because people tweeted at me and said, I've got Boban in lineups, which is obviously a real GPP flyer, and hopefully you people who had Boban in your lineups, hopefully you won some cash because... What would have been a minimum salary price, he put up some pretty, uh, some pretty tasty numbers. Good old Boban. All right, let's uh, get into these games now. Where are we? The first game we're going to talk about. We're looking at the Houston Rockets. Um, yes, we are. We're looking at the Houston Rockets, and now my screen has def- defeated me again. I'm having technical and physical difficulties today. The Houston Rockets and the Orlando Magic. Nothing is working. Oh, here we go. All right, so the Rockets are favored by five and a half points in this one. The total is 223. High pace. 
obviously. Now, we don't have all the totals or all the spreads for all the games just yet, but that is a very high-paced game. Serge Barker was ejected in the last game for Orlando. Um, I don't imagine he's going to be copying any suspension for, for the double tech that he got, so I don't think we're in any concern about Serge there, but it always pays to check, but I, I can't see any situation that Serge is going to be out. Obviously, Pat Beverly is still dealing with his wrist problem, but he played today. I imagine he'll be fine. He's going to tough it out. He's a he's a pretty hard ass, so I, I don't think there's too much of a problem with Pat Bev in that sort of a situation or, or getting him to play. So we should be all all situations go for uh, for the Rockets injury wise and for the Magic as well, which is always good to know. Now let's talk about the the um, the point guards. We start off with with Patrick Beverly as, as one of them. Look at on DraftKings. Where is he? He's at fifty four hundred. He's been putting up. You know, he's been putting up good numbers. He put up thirty today. He's averaging thirty three across the last five. We've seen players against Orlando recently put up some pretty pretty good performances, and. I don't think that it would be a horrible option to take Pat Bev at 5,400. If we look at him on Fangio, he's at 59. So that's that's not really appealing at all because he's only averaging 28 over on that scoring system. So he's not a Fangio guy, but he is a, a DraftKings consideration. Lord Alfred Payton, on the other hand, well, not on the other hand, same story, 6,000 on DraftKings. I love what he's doing. Now, the Pat Beverly defense is a real issue. We know that, but Peyton is averaging 32 across the last three, dropped 36 in the last game, and I feel pretty good about him getting 30 here, even with the Pat Beverly defense, because despite how good Beverly can be, DVP stuff and and all that is actually showing it's a a marginal positive for Alfred Peyton in this matchup. Well, not marginal, actually, no, more than marginal, a fairly significant positive. So I'm okay with him. I don't imagine he'll be very highly owned, Peyton, but I think that he is worth a look on DraftKings. At 6,300, he is on Fangio. Not not as keen with him at that price. It's a $300 price rise. I think you can do better. But on DraftKings, he is definitely an option. Shooting guard, Evan Fournier is at 6,000. He returned in the last game, played 30 minutes, only put up 17 points, but we know he can be better than that. I would look at him as a GPP guy only. The matchup is a positive, and I love him a lot more on DraftKings, where he's at 5,800. Fangio at the 6,000, not quite as keen, but I am keen on him in DraftKings. In fact, this game has a lot more value on the DraftKings slate than it does on Fangio. It really, really can be quite stackable, I believe, over on DraftKings in the GPPs. Quite a few guys that you, you can stack in, like you know, Harden and, and the table, um, Aaron Gordon, Alfred Payton, Evan Fournier, Nick Vucevic, lots of these guys that you can chuck in and, and potentially stack and, and get some big scores, especially with the, the big over-under that's happening in the game. Jimmy Harden is at 11800 on Fangio. That's a $200 price drop, so that's always great when you get a price drop. On DraftKings, he's actually jumped up by 100 bucks, so we're not as keen there. But I still, we still have to have... You still have to look at it and go, okay, well, this is Jim Harden. We know what he can do. The thing is that you've got Giannis in that position as well over on, over on FanDuel, and I reckon he might be the better option that's playing. But 11,800 for Jim. He's averaging 64 across the last three, 62 across the last five, which if he gets that average, then he's returned value. So he's really tough to go past. But his last three games against Houston have given you 38 points. Sorry, that's not true. Yes, no, it is. He's got 38 points over the last three. Not great, but this is a different James Harden this season. So there is um, there is a there is a difference in that, but still some uh, some good numbers for uh, for Harden. And he just he is a 
he's he's a, if you've got enough value in other spots, then and you've got the cash, then it's when you plug him in. Otherwise, he's not a he's not a foundational piece. I don't I don't believe to a lineup. Eric Gordon's been really good. Fifty eight hundred for Gordo. He had thirty two today. He's averaging thirty across the last three. You should feel pretty good about him at least approaching 30. He's 58 on DraftKings as well. So I think that he's a solid option on both sides. Jody Meeks, no. Let's talk some more forward. Aaron Gordon at 4,800. It's a $300 price jump on Fangio. He'd been putting up good numbers. He's jumped by 300 on DraftKings as well, or he's at 4,900. But given how he's been playing, 30-point average in the last three, 27.5 over the last five, I, I feel pretty good about him at this sub-$5,000 price. I wouldn't, I'm not quite there for cash with him because there's still things that nag at me in terms of how Vogel plays him, but the numbers have been a lot more consistent and there's upside at that price. Trevor Ariza at 5,900, I don't believe there's a massive amount of upside at that price on FanDuel and even on DraftKings, he's at 59 as well. So he's someone to stay away from as is Jeff Green and Sam Decker. Power forwards, Ryan Anderson is only ever a GPP guy. He's at 5,500, so feel free to deploy him. It's a high-paced game. He could have 40. He could have 12. This is just who Ryan Anderson is. And Serge Barker just feels overpriced. He's at 6,800 on FanDuel, 6,400 on DraftKings. And that's, you need 36 points on each, on each site. 30, or yeah, maybe not 30. Maybe you need 34 on FanDuel, 36 on DraftKings. And just not sure he's getting there. Somewhat, yeah, somewhat of a positive matchup, but still, yeah, just there are better options out there. We'll, we'll leave it that way. At center, the table is at five thousand on Fangio Montrez Harrell. He didn't have the greatest game today, but still put up twenty-one. And I, I still think he's a really good option here against a Magic team who has let through some pretty big numbers to opposition centers. And then on the other side, Nick Vucevic, who's at sixty-nine hundred. He is averaging 34 across the last five. He's 35 across the last three. The minutes are up. Biombo's minutes are down. Uh, a really, really positive matchup for him here as well. So I do like Vucevic, and I don't think I've really liked Vucevic at all this season, but this is a great spot for him. 6,300 on DraftKings as well. Really hard to go past him on either side. As for Biombo, yeah, he had four points in the last game. He's averaging 13 in the last five, and he's not at minimum. So that's a... That's a no thank you from me. All right, let's move on to the next game. All right, we've got the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Washington Wizards. The the Wizards are favored by five, and the total is 211.5 points here in this one. Let's... um, Let's start injury-wise. No, there's no injuries to uh, to concern ourselves with, which is always, always good news, always what we want to hear. Um, point guards. Johnny Wall. He's he's pretty expensive. We we know that. Ten thousand one hundred over on DraftKings. Now he is averaging fifty three over the last five games. He is averaging forty nine over the last three. But ten thousand. It's actually a drop of five hundred bucks. So his price has come down. What what do we do with uh with Wall in this situation? I think that I think that he's a I think he's an option on DraftKings at that price. He, he he's killing it. His lowest score, in fact, is 45 over the last five. So that is almost as safe a floor as there is in the entire slate. That is, uh, he's putting up great numbers. The minutes are secure. He's averaging 38 minutes over the last five games. You don't imagine this is going to be a blowout one way or the other. 
So I feel pretty good about Wall at that 10,100 if you don't want to spend up, say, 12,000 on James Harden. You know, why can't you have a look at Johnny Wall and, and think, yeah, you know what, this guy is he's a real chance to get me 50 points here. And not, not only a real chance, but he, he's a, a consistent chance to get 50 points. And that, that says quite a bit, for especially for cash games. I'm not sure how high his GPP ceiling is. And that might mean he's not a great option there, but in cash, he is a he's a really good you know, point guard on both sides. He's at 9,700 on FanDuel, and he's averaging 49 over the last five over there. So I think he's one of the I think he's the best high price point guard that's that's actually out there on the entire slate. For the Wolves, we've got Rick Rubio, who's at 5,500 over on DraftKings. That's a $300 price drop. He's averaging 25 across the last five. John Wall defense is, is no joke, so that's that's a concern. And he's at 57 on Fangio. It's just too high. Not not interested in Rubio. Won't spend too much more time there. Chrissy Dunn, no. Shooting guards, Braddles, Brad Beal, $7,000 over on Fangio. And we've got him priced at 6900 over on DraftKings. He had 33 points average in the last three games on DraftKings. Beal at 6900 Do I Do I like it? Well, really hard to turn down 6900 But... What's his what's his value like? I think it's a good spot for him. I think it's a really good spot for him, and and I think he's a, a decent play here. Not so much on Fan. He's okay on Fangio at seven thousand, but I'm not I'm not really locked into him over there. But on DraftKings, I feel like he's a, a much better value proposition. Zach Levine, Zachy, six thousand four hundred for Levine. He hasn't been really living up to that over the last couple, just averaging 27 across the last five. I think he's more a GPP option in the, in this matchup, which is a significant negative for him as well. And he's at 67 on DraftKings, which is just a putrid price, so that is not not an appealing situation there either. Wigo is at 6,400 on Fangio. That's a $500 price drop, and it's 6,800 on DraftKings, which is a $400 price drop. Not dropping enough for me. I don't really think that that's really... Um, Really worth taking a look at, to be honest, at at that sort of price. I reckon you can do better. I'd be okay considering Wiggins in a GPP format, but that that is not cash game worthy. Otto Porter at fifty six hundred on Fanduel, a nice thirty three pointer in the last one, and I think he's he's pretty solid value on either side, despite him being a six thousand dollar priced player over on DraftKings. And who else? Let's go power forwards now. Gorgie Jeng fifty six hundred. He's just consistently giving you that value back. He's averaging 29 across the last five. His lowest score in the last five has been 23 and continues to just be priced wrongly, I feel. I think I feel like he's a $6,000, $5,900 price guy, and it's not much, but if you can consistently get that value, then why don't you? Same on DraftKings. He's at 5,800. He's been averaging 30 points across the last five. He can get you 30 here again. It's not like this is a difficult matchup for him. It's, it's mildly difficult, but it's not hugely difficult. He is a little. He has been risky during the year, but recently we haven't seen that. Markeith Morris is at forty nine on Fangio. Love the upside for him. I do think that he can he can significantly beat that value of forty nine hundred and get you twenty nine thirty points. But I'm not confident in it, so I wouldn't be looking at him in cash. And maybe I'd look at him in a tournament. Nemanja Bielitsa, no thanks. Center, two centers here that I like, especially Marching Gortat on Fangio. Sixty five hundred for Gortat. You know he's going to play a lot of minutes. He's averaging 36 across the last three. That's points. He's actually averaging 37 minutes. So 6,500, you you should feel pretty good of him at least approaching 35 points. Carl Anthony Towns is at 9,000. Actually, what's a Gortat on? uh, Gortat's 6,200 on DraftKings. Same story. Really, really like him over there. 
Carl Towns is at 9,600 on DraftKings. I think that's more of a tournament play there because that's that's needing quite a bit to actually make value on on uh, in cash. But he is he has been consistent. His lowest score has been 40 over the last five, which is obviously not cutting at 96, but it's um but it's um pretty decent. On um, on Fangel at 94, not as interested. It's a pretty significant price. The scoring isn't suiting him quite as well. His highest score has been just under 50 in the last five and averaging 44, which at 9,400, I would like him to do a little bit more before I invest that sort of cash in Kyle Towns. All right, let's move on to the next one. It's Philadelphia. They're taking on Boston. The Celtics are favored by 12 and a half. And we've got injuries to take a, take a look at here. The big one is Joel Embiid with Philadelphia. He's got gastroenteritis. He is questionable. Bob Cove is questionable with a back issue. Gerald Henderson and Sergio Rodriguez both should be back. They're both probable to play in Boston. It's James Young and Tyler Al- uh, Tyler Zeller, not Alice, Tyler Zeller, who are both considered questionable, but they don't play anyway. So there's no real big deal. Obviously, the issue is going to be if Bob Cove and if Joel Embiid sit, then who gets the minutes? I reckon if, if Embiid sits, we might get Noel starting. Or if he doesn't, I think he might play more minutes than Jolly Okafor. So I don't think that if Embiid sits, it's an automatic go and plug Okafor in. It would be a GPP Noel situation. It would also be great for Ursan Ilyasova. If Covington is out, Stauskas comes into play. Gerald Henderson gets a bit of a bump. Man, do you even look at Luawu Cabarro? You probably don't, but there's a lot of minutes to be to be filled there on the wing in Philadelphia, and there's not many um, not many wings on that roster, especially considering Hollis Thompson just got waived. Let's get into the point guards now. Really tough for me to consider using either TJ McConnell or Sergio Rodriguez. We don't know what's going to be happening with the minutes. We don't know if they're going to split them, if Rodriguez is going to get his 27 and McConnell is 21. Really tough to consider using each of them. I would look at McConnell potentially as a GPP guy because if they say, all right, we're sticking with him and playing him 30, then he can get you 30, 32 points which at 4100 is is great but yeah it's it's not it's not a likely scenario um Rodriguez yeah not not really going to be interested in Sergio McConnell's at 55 on DraftKings that even takes away some of his GPP upside over there as well Avery Bradley for the oh, and actually look let's talk let's talk Boston point guards because there's one of those who's pretty good Isaiah Thomas is at 9200 that's a $1100 price rise on Fangio you can pretty much stick that up your ass I, I won't be won't be spending 9200 on Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, he's been great. He's averaging 54 over the last three. But take that out to the last five, and he's averaging 45, and 92 doesn't cut it. So he's had a couple of good games, but how realistic is him to just continue? Now, it is Philly. I understand that, but that's a pretty high bar for Isaiah Thomas to be set at, and I won't be getting involved. He is up to 8300 in DraftKings, which is still a $900 price rise, but it's it's much more... It's much more stomachable. So I, I can definitely consider him on DraftKings. Marcus Smart, not going to happen. And um, yeah, let's talk shooting guards. Avery Bradley, 6,200. The salary is coming down, a $300 dip there. Still not quite at the level that I'd like it to be at. So he's a fade for me on uh, on Fangio. But at 61 on DraftKings, the scoring is a little bit more Avery Bradley friendly. The matchup is a good one. I'm okay with using him on DraftKings, not on Fangio though. Source Castillo gets a uh, minimum salary bid, I guess, if Bob Covey's out. He's at 35 on Fangio. He's he's 38 on DraftKings, so he's not minimum over there. So probably a little bit less appeal in that situation, but he's a name to watch if we see that Covington happens to be ruled out at all. 
if Covington's ready, I don't think we would play him, although the matchup is all right, but I reckon he can do better at that position. Jalen Brown, I don't know why I mentioned him because he's not going to play. Jay Crowder is the guy I want to talk about. He's at 5,300 Crowder. Really good matchup, really good price, really like him. I think he's he's had a little bit of um, negative feedback after the tweet he sent about Gordon Haywood. So I reckon he could be in for a decent performance. At 5,200 on DraftKings, he, he's projected to be one of the better small forward producers on the day, and I uh, I agree with that. Power forwards, Ursan's at 5,800. So it's a decent chunk of, of change, but if Embiid is out, I'm all for 5,800 for Ursan Ilya. So it just gives him scope for a couple of extra minutes, and in a really positive matchup, that could be enough. Even if Embiid plays, I'm still okay with Ursan here because he is putting up good numbers. He's averaging 29 over the last five, and at 5,800, that's spot on where you need to be. But I think he can actually go bigger than that. If we look at him over on DraftKings, he's at 6,000, so that's obviously a bit less appealing, but it's not horribly less appealing. There is still value for Ursan Ilyasova over there. I like Dario Saric as a GPP guy. He's at 4,200. If Embiid is out, he's averaging 24 over the last three with Fangio scoring and could easily have a 25 or even a 30-point game if one of those front court guys happens to be out. Noel, as I touched on, I think if Embiid is out, I would look at him. And I think they might... Get, we saw him off the bench first ahead of Jelly Okafor in the last game. And that might be something that sticks. Okafor, um, I won't be looking at him, even if uh, Embiid happens to miss the game, which, we, of course, we all hope that he doesn't. Next up, we've got Cleveland and Brooklyn. No spread for this one just yet. Kyrie, Kevin Love, we don't know if they're returning. Uh, they're not going to have Mike Dunleavy services, obviously. They're not going to have Kyle Corvers, most likely. So... Yeah, what do we do? The thing is, they're playing Brooklyn, so there's no spread out yet, but we're talking significant smashing potential. If there's any issue with Irving or Love, they're not going to play. So there's still a lot of things up in the air here for Cleveland. Like LeBron looks pretty good at 10000 bucks, but in a blowout scenario, is it something that we really want to look at? I reckon there are better options that you can spend your cash on than LeBron in this sort of situation, just given the... Um, the the level of uncertainty and the level of opposition that the Cavs are playing. At point guard, you want to go a punt, minimum salary? Spencer Dinwiddie is your guy. He played 32 minutes a day and had 26 points. Now, there's no guarantee he plays 32 minutes again, but Isaiah Whitehead hasn't been fantastic. Dinwiddie hasn't either, but let's see if this is the trend that moves forward. I think there is something to really like here with Dinwiddie, and I think there's Pretty significant upside to uh, to beat that $3,500 value. He's a minimum salary on DraftKings as well at 3000 So really tough to go past Spencer Dinwiddie. Kyrie, I'm not going to spend 86000 I'm definitely not spending 86000 I'm not going to spend 8600 on a bloke that's coming back from a hamstring that we don't know if he'll play or how long he'll play, so that's out of play. For me, Isaiah Whitehead, yeah, no. He wasn't producing even in the big minute or the bigger minute role. Sean Kilpatrick at 47 doesn't bother me too much that he's off the bench. The salary has jumped by $300 over on FanDuel, and he's at 53 on DraftKings, but I still think that he can have value. He dropped to 33 today, as we saw a little bit earlier on. Yeah, putting up the good numbers there. I think he's in a, a pretty decent spot to be used. Iman Shumpert is not. Joe Harris, DeAndre Liggins, Jordy McRae, Randy Foy, none of those guys should really interest you. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, we don't know if he will play. He's a small forward, as is LeBron, but I don't really think... Using LeBron is um, is the greatest use of 10,000 FanDuel or DraftKings dollars. Dickie Jefferson, he gets some extra run if Love is out, but he doesn't 
convert that into points. And Karis Levert at 3,600, really hard to consider him, I think. Power forward, Chan Ing Fry had 23 in the last game. He's at 3,700. So if Love is out, we can absolutely have a look at Channing. But there is a bit of risk associated with him, and I wouldn't be looking at him in cash situations, even if Love happens to be out. 8,300 for Love. I get the feeling Love plays in this one, not Kyrie. I think Kevin plays. At 8,300, potential blowout, not not interested. Trevor Booker at 5,500, also not interested in Trevor Booker at that price tag. And the centers, Brookie Lopez, um, limited today, obviously. It's a back-to-back, so maybe he's limited again. Is it 7,500 on Fangio? So that's almost an automatic no. At 6,500 on DraftKings, it, it, it is hard to let him go at that price because that is a, a really cheap price. He could easily put up 40 in this one. I think that he is a decent GPP play on DraftKings. I just don't have the balls to say that he is a, a cash guy just because of those those issues that we talked about, the back-to-back, the blowout nature, all that sort of stuff. The New York Knickerbockers, they're going to they have a, a second taste of Giannis after um, he won the game for the Bucks the other day in that uh, buzzer beat-up. The Knicks take on the Bucks in Milwaukee. There is no spread currently out for this one. Kristaps Porzingis is questionable with his Achilles injury, and Matty Dellavedova is questionable with his hamstring issue. Obviously, if Dally's out, it opens up a ton of Malcolm Brogdon, who's averaging 31.5 over the last three, and he's a $4,600 price guy over on Fangio. If you look at him on DraftKings, it's much less appealing. He's at 5700 so even if Dally is out, it's a tough one to use with, with Brogdon. But if Dally is in, then Brogo can uh, see you later. Dalavidova wouldn't use. Derek Rose, terrible matchup for Rosie. He's at 6,400. Hasn't really been hitting the heights that he needs to at that salary. I think that I will pass on Derek Rose. Same with Brandon Jennings. Let's talk shooting guards. It's Yanni time here. 10,700 for, for under the Kumpo. He put up 54 in the last game. And this gives me just a quick aside. NBA All-Star voting. It, it, it's horrible. I, I, You know what? I look at it and I go, okay, Zaza Pachulia is the second leading forward in the, in the NBA or in the Western Conference. I totally understand why. Yep. Shit system. Hate seeing it flood my timeline. Hate it. Um, but I understand why. The East backcourt is a disgrace. Kyrie Irving and Dwayne Wade should not be in ahead of Kyle Lowry. They should not be in ahead of Isaiah Thomas. They should not be in ahead of John Wall. Dwayne Wade should not even be on that list. Andre Iguodala is the eighth-ranked Western Conference guard. Andre Iguodala. It is horrible. I love that Giannis is in, though. Or I love that he's second in the Eastern Conference forwards. LeBron, Giannis. Unfortunately, it doesn't come with Jimmy Butler next, which is the guy that should be. But yeah, at least we got at least we got Yanni in there. But that East backcourt man, phew, terrible, horrible, needs to be fixed. Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry can't Kyle Lowry can't be behind Derrick Rose. He can't be number six. That needs to change. It is disgraceful. Yanni, ten thousand seven hundred here. Love him. Uh, if we look at him over on DraftKings, he's at ten seven as well. Yeah, probably be a little bit less interested with him over on DraftKings just because of the, the salary structure and that. But yeah, still he's still a tough guy to go past, but he's a yeah, much better option to me on FanDuel. Courtney Lee at 4,100. 
There's no upside with Courtney Lee. There's no reason to play him in GPPs, but he's a decent cash option. And at 3,900 on DraftKings, I actually like him as a cash play. Again, pair him with some other dearer guys. Get your sub $4,000 guy in there. Get 20 points out of him. Get your value and and get out. I think that's what you should do. Justin Holiday is almost, almost eliminated from the rotation, which is ridiculous. Mallow at 7,900. Mallow gets a bump if Porzingis is out. He had 56 in the last game. At 7,900, I don't love it on Fangio. I would be okay with it if Porzingis is out. He's at 79 on DraftKings as well, which is an $800 price rise. But I'm actually okay with it over there. Again, the matchup for him is decent here, and the scoring system does suit him in this this situation. So I do think that Mallow on DraftKings is all right. Tony Snell is not all right anywhere. Neither neither is Mizzet Talitovic, Michael Beasley, or Mindagas Kuzminskas. Kuzminskas had 26 in the last game, but really, it's going to take Porzingis out again and some pretty fluky stuff to go down for that to be a, an occurrence once more. Power forward, Porzingis at 7,900. I wouldn't use him even if he plays. Jabari Parker at 7,000 is, is intriguing, and I think he's a decent option, but not the best. This, this is with FanDuel pricing. Jabari at 73 on DraftKings is, is pretty much a no. No other power forwards to talk about. Let's talk centers. Greggy Munro is at 5,500 on Fangio. He is averaging a robust 35 points over the last three. He had 40 in the last game, and he's averaging, more importantly, 31 minutes in those last three games. The matchup is a good one. He just came off torching the Knicks. I am all for using Greg Munro. He's at 5,800 on DraftKings. That's a $1,000 price rise. Again, I am all for using him on both those sites. More leaning GPP, but I can totally understand getting him in cash considering the other guys there are terrible and he just came off a massive game against this team. Joe Kim Noah's minutes are fine. His production's fine. He's at 5,100. Really nothing bad to say against him. He's playing against the, the Bucks who allow big numbers to centers. He's averaging 34.5 across the last three, Noah. He's at 5,500 on DraftKings, which is not quite fantastic, but I still think that he has value on that side as well. Johnny Henson, yeah, not not happening for me with John, nor with uh, Kyler Quinn or Billy Hernan Gomez. Let's move on now to the next game. We're looking at the Los Angeles Clippers. They're taking on the Sacramento Kings. No spread here for this one. Rudy Gay is currently questionable, and Chrissy Paul is doubtful for the Clippers. So that opens up value at the point guard position, obviously. And it becomes a conundrum. Austin Rivers and Ray Felton are both at 4,600 on FanDuel. Austin Rivers is averaging 26.5 points over the last three. Ray Felton is averaging 26.5 points over the last three. Rivers is coming off a 43-point game. Felton had 31, so they both had value. In the last five, they've had minimum scores of 14 for Rivers and 11 for Felton, so some stinkers. They've had high scores of 43 and 41. Who do you take? The answer is either. If I had to take one, it would be Rivers, but I could see myself flip-flopping on this all day, all night, and really tossing a coin in the end. That's how close that I, that I see them in terms of, you know, they're both probably going to start, but in terms of how their production is going to look. If you look at them on DraftKings, Felton has the edge because he's at 4,700, whereas Rivers is at 53, so I'll definitely be looking at Felton over on, uh, over on DraftKings. The... Kings point guards is a similarly annoying situation. Ty Lawson and Darren Collison. Lawson played the more minutes in the last game. 4,200 for Lawson, 44 for Collison. I don't think you can really even seriously consider using either of those guys. Shooting guards. JJ Redick, 4,400. 
We compare him with Jamal Crawford at 48. Both guys had big games in the last one, 25 for Reddick, 28 for Crawford, which you know returned value at both of their salaries. But it's really hard for me to consider them trustworthy cash guys. I think they're more GPP players with options. I would take Reddick over Crawford, um, especially considering he's a little bit cheaper on Fangio. But on DraftKings, Reddick's at 52 and Crawford's at 49. I would swing for, with Jamal in a GPP. So there's, there's some... Quite weird decisions, I guess, happening over in DFS with the Clippers. Aaron Aflalo, yeah, the minutes have been there. The production has not. He's a fade. Garrett Temple is at 4400 He is not bringing us back $4,400 worth of value. Rudy Gay, if he's ready to go, I won't be playing him, but it takes any puntability out of a guy like Matty Barnes, who's averaging 24 over the last three, which at 3800 on Fangio is obviously a really good price. He's at 44 on DraftKings, so he's probably less appealing, but if Gay is out, then Barnes is absolutely a GPP type of player that you can take a look at. Power forwards, Mo Spates at 4200 No, nah, not for me. I just don't really see the upside being high enough there. Brandon Bass, Anthony Tolliver, Willie Cauley-Stein. I would look at Tolliver at 3600 if Gay is out, but it's strictly just a GPP type of a play, I believe. Center, DeAndre Jordan is at 7,500. Now he gets to take on Boogie. So that is uh, pretty much an automatic no for me. I won't be looking there. As for Boogie, he's got a really good history against the Kings. He's at 11,000. You should feel... Now, he, he struggled in the last game, only 29 points, which is a real stinker. But I feel pretty good about Boogie on both Fangio and DraftKings here. Costa Kufos has the occasional good game, but really nothing that we can uh, you know, trust in a, in a huge amount. Let's move on to the second last game of the night. It's the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. There's no spread here. Luol Deng missed today's game with that strained biceps. He could be ready to go, so he's questionable. And Hassan Whiteside has apparently joined the team in, in Los Angeles. They've got a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Now, initially, the Heat said that he would return, look to return Saturday or join the team for Saturday, but he's joined the team already. So I've listed him as questionable. If Whiteside is out, Willie Reed is a GPP type of guy, but James Johnson, to me, is the guy you want because he is the guy they go to. Reed has had one good game out of three with Whiteside out, so the odds of him doing it are obviously not high. They're one in three. That is not not high odds, but in GPP, it can work out. In cash, Willie Reed's going to kill you. Point guard, D'Angelo Russell, 6,300. The matchup is not ideal, but... Russell's been putting up some really impressive numbers. I I do think that that's a good option at 6,300 and 6,200 on DraftKings. Yeah, can't really fault D'Angelo Russell in either of those formats. I think that he's putting up numbers. Dragic is at 74 on DraftKings. I don't love that. I love it at 61 on FanDuel. I think that he's got significant room for growth against a Lakers team who does allow some pretty good points to their to the opposition point guard. So Dragic at 71 is a, is a guy that is is in play. He's an option. Tyler Johnson at 61. He's averaging 32 across the last five. At 6,100 though, it probably turns me off him a little bit. He's at 58 on DraftKings. I'm okay with it on DraftKings, especially in this sort of a good matchup, but a little bit hesitant to use him at 6,100 over on Fangio. Jordy Clarkson had a nice 28-point performance today, but he's averaging 16 across the last five. Really hard to um, really hard to rely. Actually, he had yeah, sorry, he had a 33-point performance today. Um, really hard to get um two two behind him. Small forward, Deng, he's been really putrid lately. So even if he plays, he's a, a GPP type of guy. Uh, Brandon Ingram, 3,800, but he just doesn't rack up the stats. Not a not a DFS option for me, nor is Scooter Magruder or Luki Babbitt. Power forward, Julius Randle, love that, 7,100. He's been killing it at the moment, and I'm not a Randle fan, but he is converting me. 
and he's at 7,200 on DraftKings. I reckon he's an option on both sides. Well, James Johnson, somehow his salary has dropped by 400 bucks over on FanDuel. I can't explain that. He is at 5,700 on DraftKings. He's at 55 on FanDuel. If Whiteside is out, it, it's it's really great stuff for Johnson. If Whiteside's in, it's probably more of a fade, but he is a name to watch. This matchup is very, very good for him as well. So that's a, another factor to take into it. Center. Whiteside at 8,300. At least it wasn't a lower body injury. So he, his fitness should be fine. It was an eye problem. 8,300 for Whiteside. I think he's a GPP option, but a GPP option only. 8,000 on DraftKings, same story. I don't. It's hard to treat him in cash because he hasn't been playing well, but this could be the one that really starts to turn things around for him. I don't believe that Tim Mozgov's really a a useful guy to take a look at. Memphis and Golden State rounds out the night. The Warriors are favored by 13.5. The total is 214.5, but the Warriors, at the moment, barely ever reach their spread. Memphis has got a, a knack of keeping things close, except for the games where they lose by 70 to the Warriors. So I'm not as worried in this one as I have been in the past about these high spreads that the Warriors have been putting up. Jermichael Green is questionable for Memphis. Now, in the last game that he missed, Zebo did not take advantage of that opportunity, nor did Jarrell Martin. So neither of those guys, especially against a Golden State team that plays bigs off the floor a lot, you really don't think there's going to be a lot to see with those guys with or without Green in the lineup. At point guard, Steph at 8,100. I feel pretty good about Steph in a matchup against Memphis. On DraftKings, he's at 8,500, which is decently priced. He's at 8,100 on Fangio, which, again, I haven't really been big on Steph in DFS a lot of the time, but I think in a matchup against Memphis, he has done fairly well against them. Um, I think he should be feel okay about getting 40 out of Steph Curry. As for Mike Conley, he's at 6,900. Um, yeah, look, he, he's been impressive. He's He got 40 in the last game. He's got 34 across the last three. Might be a touch high on Fangio, but I don't really think it's that bad. And 66 on DraftKings is is fine as well. So he's he's okay without being one of the plays of the day. Andy Harris and Sean Livingston, they're not worth a look. I like Clay Thompson here, though. He's at 6300 That's a $600 price dip. And he's a $200 price dip down to 64 on DraftKings. I like him on both sides. I think he can really you know, go over 30, maybe get to 35 and return value. So I am, I am a fan of Clay. He's always a bit of a risk in terms of his cash game playability, but he's been fairly consistent the last five games. His lowest score has been only 27. So that's pretty good. Tone Allen at 4,600. I'd look to Tone if uh, if Green is out. He takes on a little bit more rebounding responsibility in that sort of a situation. So Tony Allen at 46 is definitely worth consideration. That's on Fangio. We look at him on DraftKings. He's at 47. Yeah, fine, but not not quite as good. I like Kevin Durant at 9,600. I should, I and you should feel pretty good about getting 50 out of Durant. He's at 94 on DraftKings. Yeah, same story there. Really do like him in this one. Iguodala, Jimmy Ennis, Chandler Parsons should be back, so that cuts off any of Ennis's value, really. Power forwards. Draymond, 7,800 on Fangio, 75 on DraftKings. Solid, not spectacular. I would take Thompson and Durant and probably even Curry over him here. Just the matchup doesn't quite suit him. Marcus Sol can be somewhat of a of a handful when he plays center. I talked about Zebo already. Let's talk Gasol, 8,500. That's pretty expensive. That's a Fangio price. That is expensive. Much preferred on DraftKings where he's at 74. Now, we know the risk with the Warriors and big men, so I would leave 
I'd leave Gasol to perhaps be a GPP guy and not really a cash play. But if you're stacking games in this one, it might have a decent over-under. It's not out yet. Look to see what the over-under looks to be. But we know Memphis slows things down, not as much as they used to, but they do slow things down. And the Warriors go high pace. If we're looking at a 220 over-under, then stacking Gasol and Conley with with Durant and and Steph might might be worth worth a look. In cash, I'm not sure that Gasol is the best option. All-star Zaza Pachulia, yeah, had 25 in the last game, but let's uh, let's not get our hopes up there, especially when the, the matchup for him is Marc Gasol in this one, and that's um, that hasn't been a really good situation for anybody, really, this season. All right, let's, um, let's move in now to the picks of the day. Start off with Fanjul. Austin Rivers at 46, as I said, complete toss-up with him and Ray Felton. Dragic at 71 and Johnny Wall at 97. Shooting guard Shawnee Kilpatrick, 47. Clay Thompson, 63. And Adida Kumpo at 10,700. Aaron Gordon at 48. Jay Crowder at 53. And Durant at 96. Power forwards Sharich at 42. Jeng at 56. And the centers. The table, Montrez Harrell at 5,000. Gortat at 65. And Boogie at 11,000. On DraftKings, Ray Felton, 47. Lord Alfred Payton at 6,000. And Johnny Wall at 10,1. Shooting guards, Courtney Lee, at 3,900, Evan Fournier at 58, and Jimmy Harden at 12,200. The small forwards, Aaron Gordon, 49, Jay Crowder, 52, and Kevin Durant, 9,400. Power forwards, Amir Johnson, 38, Gorgie Jeng, 58, and Boogie at 10,900. And at center, Tristan Thompson, 45, Nick Vucevic, 63, and Carl Towns, 9,600. Let's look to the Aussie sites now on Moneyball. Austin Rivers, 39, D'Angelo Russell, 52, and Johnny Wall, 98. Shooting guards, JJ Redick, 4,000, Brattles, Beal, 65, and Jimmy Harden, 12-2. Small forward, JJ Crowder, 47, Mallow, 75, and Andu Dekumpo at 10,700. At power forward, the tables, 4,400, Julius Randle, 63, and at center, Greggy Munro, 49, Vucevic at 69, and Boogie at 10-5. On drafts, stars, Ray Felton, 52. Shawnee Kilpatrick, 8550, and Isaiah Thomas, 14050. Shooting guards, Brogos at 54, irrespective of Daly. Evan Fournier, 10750, and Jimmy Harden, 239. Small forwards, James Johnson, 6950, Jay Crowder, 9500, Mallow at 148. Power forwards, the tables at 5900, Greg Munro at 8850, and Kevin Durant at 19350. And at center, Amir Johnson, 6000. Marcin Gortat, 11.750, and Boogie at 19.7. We're done for today's podcast, guys. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Follow Basketball Monster at BaskMonster. And check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, where there's a podcast for whatever your team is every day of the week. Finding out any information, Locked On Cavs and Locked On Hawks are going to be must-listen to. So listen to Brad Rowland and Chris Manning on Locked On Hawks and Locked On Cavs, respectively, to hear both of their sides of the Kyle Korver trade. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Go bear.